love is in the air, and I hope and pray that you men remembered Valentine's Day today. You have no excuses. I reminded you last week, and now if you forgot, it is too late. The day has come upon us, and today is the day of love. We've been singing about it. We've been talking about it. Now let's see what God's Word has to say about this idea of love. Please turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be talking today about God's Valentine for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in just a moment. But God's Valentine for you. You know, the love that, that God gives, the love that was poured out there on the cross, the ransom that he gave, we just sang about it from the old hymn uh, that we just sang about right before we were seated at the end of part of the offering. It's that he ransomed his son for us, that he uh, was a ransom for many. And of course, this comes straight out of scripture. And the idea is that God loves us so much that he poured out and he gave his son for all of us. And when the love of Christ is in our heart, when we experience the love of God, then we can turn around and show and to spread the love of God to others, that uh, our relationships can grow. Now, many times we don't understand relationships, especially us men. We, we, we often are, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to Valentine's, when it, when it comes to love, you know, there, there's things that we just get nervous about, uh, we get sloppy about, uh, Last year, one of my friends told me uh, what he said to his wife, and, and I, I thought, man, that, that is not the way to do it. His wife, his wife uh, he was talking to his wife, and he said, what, honey, what do you want for Valentine's Day? And, and she said, well, well, I want you to take me someplace that I've never been before. And he grabbed her by the hand and took her into the kitchen. <laughs> she took his hand and took him right outside of the doghouse. <laughs> Guys really don't get it. One lady said to her husband one time, she had forgotten Valentine's Day, and uh, she said, you know, all right, Buster. She said, you're going to have to make up. You get one more chance, one more opportunity to make this right. By the morning, I expect to have something out of my driveway that goes from zero to 180 in six seconds. She wakes up the next day, and sure enough, there was a beautiful package in her driveway. She opened it up, and there was a brand-new bathroom scale waiting for her. Now, ladies, don't send me emails. I am, I am an equal opportunity offender. So you heard about the man who went missing on Valentine's Day, didn't you? He went missing. The wife couldn't find him. And so she went to her neighbor and said, hey, we need to go to the police department and fill out a missing person's report. And so the neighbor went with her to the police department. And the policeman began to file the report. And she said, now, the policeman said, now, tell me about your husband. Tell me all that there is to know. And the wife said, well, you know, he's tall, he's dark, he's handsome, he's got beautiful dark hair, slim waist, broad shoulders. He's, he's the sweetest man. He never forgets my birthday. He never forgets my anniversaries. He, he's, just, he's just a gentleman. He's a smooth-talking guy. He loves kids. And so she went on and on and on. And so the police took the report and they said, thank you, ma'am. We'll, we'll get back with you. We're going to look for your husband. And as they were walking out of the police department, the, the, the neighbor said to the, the, to the wife, she said, I'm amazed that you would describe your husband like that. That's nothing at all like your husband. She said, your husband is short and dumpy, ugly, wears crummy looking clothes. He, 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 he always forgets your birthday. He always forgets your anniversary. He doesn't even like kids. To which the wife responded, oh, I know, but that's not the guy I want back. I, I don't want him back. I want the one that I described. 
Now, guys, don't you send me emails either. I'm an equal opportunity offender today. So we come to Valentine's Day and we, we think about love and this unconditional love, this unchanging love of God. And, and it's, it's something that we focus on. We, we, we focus on this love. First Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 18 and 19, it speaks of the love of God. It speaks to us and tells us uh, what kind of love and how he demonstrated his love. You know, one of the things that, that shows love and, and speaks love is that when you put love into action. And, of course, God did not just say, I love you, but he showed us that he loved us. And so ultimately, we know the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so people are very tired of hearing empty words. We, this year, the year of evangelism, this is a time for us to go out and not to share love with empty words or empty actions, but, but when we go and we share and we give, we, we do this and it backs love. Why is it that we're talking about going out and sharing our faith with people who don't know Jesus? It's based out of our love, our, the love that God has placed in our heart. We, we go out not in order to build a church, not in order to put more people uh, in seats, but we go out because we have a love and a compassion to see lost people saved and this must be the driving heartbeat of who we are and and not just this year but may it spark this year and may it carry on into the rest of our life please stand in the honor of reading God's word first Peter chapter 1 we'll begin reading in verse number 18 here's what the word of the Lord says knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways this of course comes back to the hymn we just sang knowing that you were ransomed, redeemed from the feudal ways inherited by your forefathers, not by perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Lord, as we speak from it today, may we honor, may much honor and glory and praise be returned to you through the preaching of your word today. We ask this in Christ's name and all of God's people said. Please be seated. The first thing we see here in 1 Peter chapter 1 about God's valentine, number one, is that God's love for us. The first thing we see is God's love for us. Us. We have been redeemed. We have been ransomed. Whenever there's a ransom, there has to be a ransom note. What is the ransom note? Uh, the, the, it's put on display, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter said. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 tell us that we have been redeemed, not of silver and gold. We are not saved by buying ourselves into heaven. No amount of money can earn a person to heaven. No amount of good works can get you into heaven. The only way we can be redeemed, which which means to purchase back, is to through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's God's love for us. Now let me ask the question, what is the price of redemption? How much is a soul worth? You see, if, if, if money cannot buy a soul, how much, how much is a soul worth? You see, God did for us what we could never have done for ourselves. Not through silver or gold but the precious blood of Jesus. What is the value of a human soul? What is the worth of a person? Jesus said it this way. 
what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul? That tells me that a soul, the human soul, is worth more than anything and everything that can be gained in this world. What would it profit a man? How good would it be if you got everything in this world yet you lost your own soul? What good would it be? So infinitely valuable you are to God. He demonstrated his love for us. And while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. How has he redeemed us? How has he redeemed us? Peter tells us he's redeemed us through the precious blood of his son, the blood of Christ. Now, why the blood? You go to so many churches today and and they don't talk about the blood. They've removed the blood from the pulpit. They've removed the blood from their hymns. A a denomination that will go unnamed from this pulpit has gone painstakingly gone through their hymn books and removed any hymn, any song that talks about the blood. Now, that's, that, that to me boggles my mind. For you see, the blood is where the point is. The blood is where the point is. This, is. this is how we've been redeemed. This is how we've been purchased. This is how God showed his love for us through the blood. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the writer of Hebrews says, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. There can be no forgiveness. There can be no redemption of sin. Without the shedding of blood. You see, this has been God's plan from the very beginning. When you open the pages of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis 1, and you begin to read. You don't have to read but three chapters in until you see the first sacrifice that had to be made. Adam and Eve sinned. They sinned against a holy God. What does the word holy mean? We, We throw that word around a lot, but we don't really define it. What does the word holy mean? It means to be set apart. When we say that God is holy, that means that he cannot look upon sin. That means when man sins, God must turn his back on sin. He can't look on sin. He is so holy, he's so set apart from sin, that when he sees sin, he must turn his back upon sin. So when we begin to read in Genesis, and we see in Genesis uh, chapter 3 with the fall of man and Adam and Eve's sin, they, they, they went against God's will. They chose their will over God's will, which is the basic definition of sin. They chose their will over God's will. And every time you choose your will over God's will, it's going to result in sin. And when you sin, God turns his back. And so we see Adam and Eve sinned against God. An animal was slain. And once they sinned, they they realized they were naked. They've been naked the whole time, but they did not realize their nakedness. Now when they sinned, they realized they were naked. They they began to see that that they're the right and wrong. Everything was pure. Everything was holy. Everything was good up until that point. And then when sin entered in, now it's wrong. Now it's bad. And they look down and they realize they're naked. And so what does God do? God clothes them with the skin of an animal. Now, he did not wrap a live polar bear around Adam and Eve. No, he, he had to kill an animal. Blood must have been shed for that skin to be removed off of the hide of the animal and placed on the, Adam and Eve. You see, blood had to be spilled in order for there to be forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. That's what Hebrews says. This is what the whole Bible says. Peter says this in the passage we just read. We are redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the blood of Christ that we find forgiveness. It's through the blood of Christ that we find his love. 
Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Do you realize how big of a deal your sin is? You say, well, it's just a little lie. That little lie breaks one of the Ten Commandments. Every one of us in here lied. If you're a liar, raise your hand. If you've ever lied before, raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Raise your hand. We're all liars. Now, don't raise your hand on this. Don't raise your hand on this one. Have you committed adultery? You say, well, no, I, I have never in my life cheated on my spouse. Well, Jesus said that if you've lusted after a person in your heart, you've committed adultery. Every single one of us are guilty of that. Have you ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Have, have, you, ever, have you ever taken something that did not belong to you? Of course we have. You know what we just identified? Have you, ever, have you ever killed someone? You say, well, no, I've never taken another man's life. I've never shed innocent blood. Jesus said, if you've hated a man in your heart, you've committed murder. I'm going to stop right there because Valentine's Day is supposed to be a happy day. And, 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 and we've just identified that we have broken five of the ten commandments. We could keep going, but, but we have taken the Lord's name in vain. We have murder because we've hated We've committed adultery because we're lust. We, 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 we have, we've lied. You see, the reality is our sin is a huge deal. The writer, uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. We won't go through all 10 commandments, but each one of us has broken five of those 10 commandments. If the wages of sin is death, and we've just identified that we are liars, we are, we are murderers, we are adulterers of heart, if we've, if we've broken just those five, if we've just broken one of those commandments, according to Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That means that, that we don't deserve heaven, we deserve hell. Because when we sin, when God sees our sin, what does God do? He turns his back on sin. You see, this is the quandary, this is the problem. And now, how is sin resolved? How, how can God love us despite the fact that we're sinners? It's through the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. We see this story over and over and over throughout Scripture. Peter refers to a spotless lamb of God. You know what he's doing there? He's referring back to the Passover lamb. Remember the Passover lamb. The time of Passover when the Jews had gone down to Egypt. Uh, they were living in Egypt. Everything was good. New Pharaoh comes in. that doesn't remember Joseph. Puts the, the, the Jews into slavery. Now they're, they're the ones building the, the pyramids, Right? There came a time when God called this man by the name of Moses and said, I want you to go and deliver my people from the hand of Pharaoh. Moses goes in, uh, plague after plague after plague, Pharaoh turns his back, says, no, 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 no. Finally, the last plague is the death angel. And Moses goes to the children of Israel and says, I want you to take a lamb, not just any lamb, but a spotless lamb, a lamb without spot or blemish. I want you to take it by the throat. I want you to take a knife. I want you to slay it. I want you to cut his throat. I want you to catch the blood in the basin. I want you to take the uh, hyssop branch, dip that hyssop into that blood, and I want you to put it on the doorpost and the lentils of your household, across your door. And tonight, when the death angel passes over, when the death angel sees the blood, the death angel will pass over your house. You see, this is what Peter is referring to. He says, a spotless lamb of God. And of course, you know the story, the death angel passed over. 
The death angel passed over. When I see the blood, I'll pass over. Again, God is teaching this lesson. Over and over, every time on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, when, when the high priest would, would take uh, the two goats, on one he would lay his hands upon the goat and he would cast uh, the sins of, of Israel upon this goat and they would take the goat out into the wilderness and it's called the scapegoat. The other goat would, would lose its life. Why? Because the picture is in the blood. Forgiveness is in the blood. You remove blood out of the Bible, you take the point out of the Bible. You take the power out of the Bible. The Bible is a bloody book. W.A. Criswell, the great pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas, who's in heaven now, used to say, you cut the Bible anywhere, it's going to bleed. It's a bloody book. But what God did in the Old Testament was simply a precursor of what he's going to do through his son, Jesus Christ. Look, look back at your Bible. Look at what he says. He said, verse 20, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you. What that means is that before God even put Adam and Eve, before God even created the earth, before he hung the stars in the heavens, he knew he was going to have to send his son into this world to die on the cross for our sins. How awesome is our God. How great and majestic is our God. That this did not catch him by surprise. No, before the foundations of the world, he knew Jesus would have to come. And today he's been manifest to us. How wonderful it is what Peter's saying. How great is it that we get to live on this side of the cross. That, that we're not on that side of the cross where, where we're living in the time of David or, or King Saul. We, we were living in the time of Samuel or the judges who, who were, only had the precursors, that the sacrifices over and over and over. No, we get to see the ultimate reality of what God has done. From cover to cover, God's word is a book of salvation and redemption. Why the blood? Well, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says, life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Do you realize that medical science has just recently, when I speak recently, I'm just talking about uh, just a century or so, have realized the truth that's in that statement? Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says, the life is in the blood. If we were living during the time of the American Revolution and we were living with George Washington and you became sick, what, what, how, how is medical science going to cure you? They're, they're going to put leeches all over your body. This is really nasty. They're going to put leeches on your body, and they're going to suck the blood out of you because they thought the blood was inherently bad. What medical science has now discovered is that life is in the blood. What God said thousands of years ago, they've realized is true, that life is in the blood. It's not taking the blood out that's going to help you. It's putting the, the good blood in. Life is in the blood. And just as that's true physically, it's very true spiritually. Life is in the blood of Christ. This is the horrific picture of, of Christ dying. We, we've talked about this so many times, but I, I want you to get the picture. Why did Jesus have to go through what he went through? Remember what we said, sin is choosing my will over God's will. And when I choose to sin... Sin comes into my life. Romans 6.23 says the wages of that sin results in death. We said that God cannot embrace sin, but God turns his back on sin. Now, when we talk about the cross of Christ, 
When Jesus was hanging on that cross, he was beaten, he was bludgeoned, he was scorned and uh, the crown of thorns on his head, he was stripped naked and there he was bleeding, nailed to that cross. The blood of Jesus was being poured out. I often get the question, why is it that Jesus cried out and it's in our Bible in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, what, what did he mean when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What, what did Jesus mean? You see, the reality is that at that point, I believe it was at that moment that all of my sin, past, present, and future, all of your sin, past, present, and future, all of the sin of mankind literally, now here's a big word, was imputed upon Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was the spotless lamb of God. He was an empty cup. He, had, he never had sinned. And there on the cross, the Bible says Jesus became sin. At that moment, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that moment that Jesus became sin. And for the first time ever, for the first time in eternity past, eternity present, or eternity future, God the Father turned his back on God the Son because Jesus became sin. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Why have you turned your back on me? You see, this is the reality of sin. This is how big sin is. God cannot look at sin because he's holy. Jesus took our sin, all of our sin. And this, friend, is how much God has love for you. The great heart of God. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus come in John chapter 1, verse 29, he said, behold, look, here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus paid a great price. Jesus paid the price that we could not pay. He paid a debt that we, he, he paid a debt we did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a, a debt he did not owe. Because we owed a debt we could not pay. God's love for you, number two, we see God's love in us. God's love for us, now God's love in us. Look back at your Bible, and in verse 22, he says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, by sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He says, knowing this, this is personal, this is experiential, it is intimate, it is not head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. He says, from a pure heart, earnestly from a pure heart. Because you see, we have believed and received him, now this love is in our heart. When we realize what Christ has done for us, the love that he has for us, when we invite him into our life and he is our Lord and Savior, at that point, now Christ's love is in us. Can I tell you the true miracle the human heart is, the physical human heart? It's a muscle that beats about 100,000 times a day. Now, when you're in love, it beats probably 130,000 times a day. You can tell your wife, you know, the preacher said that my heart beats 100,000 times. Anytime I'm around you, it beats 130,000 times. You can't use that now because I just told it to you and she heard it, but... The heart beats 100,000 times in a day. Now, 
five quarts of blood each minute, 2,000 gallons of blood, this heart, our hearts push through every single day, 2,000 gallons of blood every day. Psalm 139 verse 4 says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's so true. What, what is used to pump that blood throughout our body is, is consisted of veins and uh, the cardiovascular system, right? Arteries, veins, capillaries. Now, if you took all of the veins and capillaries of the body, all, all this that, that pumps and, and is used, the, the cardiovascular system, and you, you take it and you line it up in a straight line, do you realize that, that the cardiovascular system in one human body would wrap around the earth twice? It's 60,000 miles long. All of that from this little muscle that's a little bit larger than your fist, weighs in about 10 ounces. That's the human heart, the physical heart. And when God speaks of the heart in the Bible, oftentimes he's not taught. Now, that, that's a beautiful thing. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and when we talk about the heart, that the, the heart is a beautiful thing that God has created. But when we're speaking of the heart here in this instance, we're not speaking so much of the physical heart as pumping blood. That's a beautiful thing. But, but the heart is the spirit. When we talk about the mind, that's the soul. But when we talk about the heart, the heart is the spirit. It's a symbol of love, Right? but it also speaks of our spirit. He changed us. You see, God, when he came into our life, he changed our heart. He gave us a new heart. He changed us from being unloving and selfish to being loving and spiritual. The fruit of the spirit is love. Jesus even said, the greatest commandment, I, you, you've heard, the greatest commandment, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all of your what? Heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. You see, right here he says that with every ounce and every fiber of your being, with your heart, which is your spirit, with your soul, which is your mind, with your body, your strength, everything that you are, you are to love the Lord your God. You are to give glory to the Lord. And then he said the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. This summarizes the law of love. Now for most of us, for most of us, the problem is not that we don't love God enough. I believe that we all love God. No question in my mind. If you're a believer in Christ, you love God. I think that the biggest problem that we have isn't that, that, that we don't love God. Of course we love God. I believe that the biggest problem that we have is that we don't let God love us enough. And by that, I simply mean that, that, that if we only understood how much God loves us, if we only understood how much what he has done for us, that we would be set free from ourselves. You, 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 you are being ransomed by yourself, the slavery of your sin, rebellion against God. Understand that God's love is not conditional. We, we, we talk about love in our own terminology. And, and the same word for love that we use, we say we love our dog, we love, we love our car, we love our house, we, 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 love, we, we love God. We use this word so flippantly. You know, we, I, I love hamburgers. The same word I use to, to talk about my love for hamburgers is the same word that I have to use to talk about my love for my Savior. Love. But we often make our love conditional, don't we? I'll love you if you do this. Or I, I will love you if, if you love me in return. The Bible says that God's love is unconditional. There's nothing we do to earn God's love. God is love. It says it over and over and over and over in the Bible. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says God is love. That means he is the epitome of love. There is nothing you can do to stop God's love for you. Human love is conditional. 
but God's love is unconditional. Do you remember as a kid when you saw that little girl that you thought was just the prettiest and you were in first grade and she had no idea that you even existed? What did you do? You got out a piece of notebook paper and you got your pencil, you know, your, your big pencil, number two pencil. And do you like me? Check one. Then you made a box. Yes. Box, no. You folded it up. You, you wrote her name on it and, and you asked your friend because you couldn't take it yourself. You asked your friend if you would take it to her. And your friend is supposed to tell her that, that now, now he's the one that sent it, not me. He's the one that sent it. And then, of course, if you're anything like me, you didn't really get any response back. But you waited. And you waited. I got smart. I, 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 would, start, I would write my letters like this. Do you like me? Check here. Do you love me? Check here. No option. No option for rejection. You can't reject this. You know, we, we make our, we, we, we think about love in, in all the wrong ways. God's love has no conditions. There is no fine print in the contract. He loves us, not because of what we've done. He loves us despite our sin. Romans 5, 8. In while, that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. You want to know the love of God? Jesus defines and demonstrates the love of God through what he did on the cross. God's love for us, God's love in us, and then finally God's love through us. Again, verse 22, verse 22 speaks of brotherly love. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This word philo, uh, where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is where it comes from. Oftentimes we miss the main point. We, we, we talk about philo and we talk about brotherly love and we talk about Philadelphia. But, but do you realize what that word literally means? When you begin to break down that word, that word literally means of the same womb. Of the same womb. It, 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 we are to love one another as brothers and sisters as if we came from the same womb. What that means is that there should never be a difference. There, there should never be something that comes up in our life and in our walk as a church family, as a church body, as a church, a Loma church, or as a church with a capital C across, across the board within our families, there should be nothing that happens in our life that should cause tension to the point that we reject another person, that we say that person we cannot forgive, that person we cannot love. Let me tell you, God will withhold his blessing upon your life and upon your family if you hold a grudge. It is your responsibility it is your responsibility to go to a person that, that you have offended or has offended you and either offer to, to, to request, uh, I repent, will, will you forgive me, or for you to offer forgiveness. You say, well, you don't understand what that person's done to me. How would you respond if that's how God responded to you? You don't understand what you've done for me. Look at all I've done for you. I sent my son for you, and still yet, you, you still haven't got it down. You still turn your back. How would you feel if that's what God said to us? 
No, it's our responsibility. You say, well, I've gone, Pastor. I've gone and, and asked for forgiveness. I've gone and I've, I've given forgiveness. The person, the person has not received it. The person uh, is, is not issuing forgiveness. What do I do at that point? Listen to me. All you can worry about is yourself. You leave the rest to God. All you can control is right here. You can't control that out there. All you can do is make sure that the love that Christ has for you, that is now in you, is operating through 